And so we're going to spice them up a little bit. And I was, I was just doing some research this week on how to spice up some of the traditions that we do. And I found this video I want you to take a look at. Now this is, this is a church tradition, a ritual that is really spiced up. So it's kind of grainy, but I want you to see this. Go ahead and, and, and show that. There you go. Who says you can't laugh in church? commitment that I made to a woman 
15 years ago when I said I do. Um, baptism is a symbol of a commitment that has been made with, and, and it's basically just a, the wedding ring shows, ladies, I'm off the market, you know, so don't even try. And they see that like... <laughs> this ring does not make me married. This ring shows that I'm married. Baptism does not save me. Baptism shows to a community and to the world that I am saved. It's an, it's an outward expression of an inner commitment. It's all that is. Now, can you go to heaven without being baptized? Yes, you can. I don't recommend it, but you can. You know, I heard one pastor say when he was speaking of baptism, and can you go to heaven without being baptized? He said, you can go to heaven without being baptized. I don't recommend it. He says, you can also go to Walmart without your pants on. <laughs> we don't need anything more weird in Walmart this week. Okay? So make sure your pants are on. We met Heather and I met a lady a couple years ago, and she didn't like going to Walmart because she had to get dressed up. She liked going to the Dollar General store. And I told her that I'd order right into that little <laughs> store. But baptism is merely a symbol, and it points to our commitment. Baptism points to Jesus. Because our commitment, when we, when we put our faith and our hope in Christ and what he did for us at the cross, that is where we say, I do. That is when we stand at the altar and make this commitment and take on this name that we didn't have before. Not the water. There's nothing sacred about the water. Even Mount Lady, I was on the lake Friday. The water's not anything special, trust me. I wouldn't drink it if I were you. Not after it's gone through many filters. You know, I'm looking and I'm thinking, I don't even want to swim in this. But we're going to do baptisms in it. <laughs> no dysentery. So, what is the Greek's view of baptism? It is an analogy. It is a symbol of an interchange. It's an outward symbol. We celebrate it, but it's a symbol of what God has already done in your life. Next question. What does baptism symbolize? Let me put up this scripture. Uh, Colossians 2.12. This is what Paul is saying. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, he's speaking of Jesus, having been buried with Jesus in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism symbolizes a death and resurrection. You see, Jesus, the only way we can have a relationship with with God is through his death and resurrection. And that is what allows us to be called sons and daughters of God. The only way is death and resurrection. So baptism is a symbol of my death. That is no more the sinful nature. This the, the guy that didn't have it together, I still don't have it together, but at least I got God. But is dead. It's gone. That old way of life. And when we baptize you, when we put you under the water, we'll say buried with Christ in baptism and then raised to walk in newness of life. It's a symbol of going down with Christ and coming out of the grave. That's what it symbolizes. The importance, it all points back in the meaning behind the ritual is Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. What, how does the creek baptize? This one gets a little sticky in church in churches. How does the creek 
baptized. We baptize, we, we believe the most biblical method is, is immersion. Is going all the way underwater. The, the Greek word, when you look through scripture, is called baptizo. Baptizo means to dip or immerse or dunk. It goes back to the art of dying clothes, where they would, in, the, in the ancient times, they would take, you know, purple was a very expensive color. They would take this vat and they would mix up the dye and they would immerse the clothing in the water to dye it and then bring it out, baptizo. And the, the most biblical method that, that we can find in Scripture is full immersion. A couple, couple scriptures in Matthew 3, 16, when it says that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, implying that he went down into the water. When you go to Acts 8 with Philip and the Ethiopians, it says they had the water, they had the water, and they went down into the water. It says he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the Ethiopian went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the waters, when the Spirit of God transported Philip away. Let me stop and say this. At Marine Creek, we have, we have issues that we're going to call open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. Baptism is an open-handed issue, meaning if you have been baptized another way, if you have been sprinkled, I know some from the Methodist background have been sprinkled, we're open-handed about this. We're not going to make you get re-baptized. We encourage it because we, we want you to follow the most biblical pattern for your life. But it's open-handed. Okay, We're not going to draw hard lines in the sand and say, no, you cannot be a part of a community unless you've been fully immersed. And that's open-handed. There are some things that are closed-handed that we will have to fight about, and that's the Trinity, and that's what we're going to talk about in a little bit. But this baptism is an open-handed issue, meaning it is not the mode of baptism, but the meaning of what had happened in your life. As long as you understand whether you were sprinkled or dipped or hosed off, however that was, whatever the method was, that you understand that did not save you. That is simply putting on a ring, and there should have been another change, an inward change that God did in your life before that ritual. Otherwise, it's a meaningless ritual. Who needs to be baptized and when? This is, this is where we get into some other, other little bit of a sticky issue in churches. If you look at Acts 2.41, you don't have to go there. I'll put it up on the screen. Acts 2.41 says, Those who accepted his message, this is Peter teaching on the day of Pentecost. And he's preaching Jesus. And it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That is a lot of baptisms. <laughs> Sometimes kids are funny because when you, when, you, when you dunk them under, their feet come up. And, you know, I, I've, I've baptized a lot of people. And, and it's it's fun because you can tell when they're not scared when they're when they are scared of the water they don't want to go all the way down and we call it the Heisman movement <laughs> <laughs> and we will hold them down as long as their family pays us to. <laughs> I had one mom I was baptizing her teenage son I said how long do you want me to hold money she goes until the bubble stops. <laughs> you're wrong you're wrong where is CPS. <laughs> charged her by the minute. <laughs> but um, when should you get baptized? It says those who accepted the message were baptized. It's as soon as you believe. I mean, think about it. When I got married, 
And, and the ring part is part of the ceremony. Yesterday when I did this wedding, we put the rings on during the ceremony. So it was, it was immediate. And so if you've, if you've had an, your life transformed by Christ, and you've believed in that message and put your faith and hope in Him, then the next step is to get baptized. Put that ring on. Let it be a celebration. Show the world that you're off the market spiritually. Show the enemy that, hey, don't be trying it here. It ain't going to happen. And let's celebrate that together. And let's wear that symbol to show that our life has been transformed. Now, I know some people that don't want to get baptized because they feel that their issue with God is a private matter. And what it comes down to is fear. They're afraid to publicly get baptized because they know the world is going to look at them differently. It's almost like some, some guys that, that are afraid to wear the red wedding ring because they're afraid of what the commitment is that they've made. And I think we've got to man up a little bit here. And we've got to woman up, I guess. But we've got to live the way that we are made to live. We need to have an expression and live the life that God has transformed. And let's show it. Let's celebrate it. Let's bring meaning back into this ritual. Don't get baptized because you should or because some, someone in your family thinks you should. Get baptized. Put the ring on to show, hey, there has been a change. I made a commitment with God. And I'm living that commitment. So what about, um, what about infants? Infants, we do not baptize infants at Green Creek. We do a baby dedication. And this is more for the family than the child. When we do a baby dedication, we will bring you up with this child, and we will do as Hannah did to Samuel, and she dedicated him back to the Lord. And it really brings a lot of responsibility on you as parents, because you're making a commitment to raise this child in a godly home, and to set the example, and to set the path for them to have an encounter with Jesus. That when they understand this message, they give their life into this message. They give their life into this hope. And then that can happen. Now what about children? Children, we will baptize children because we believe that children can make a decision and know. Because we, let me just say this. We do not want people just shutting off their minds and coming to church. We do not want people to shut off their minds and let someone lead them into this relationship. God created us with a mind. He wants us to use it. We should turn our minds on when we come to church. We should be as intellectually engaged in the message and the teaching of God that we are spiritually engaged. Do not follow what I say just because I'm your pastor. Do it because it's scriptural. Do it because God is leading that. If you were to come in and shut off your brains and do everything I say, it's going to be a scary thing because then it's a cult. And that's really scary. And that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to engage mentally, physically, and spiritually. And so let's, let's turn our brains on. And with children, they have an ability to think. And we back there in, in Creek Kids, they are getting all of Jesus. I mean, they are getting the full message of Jesus. It's not, it's not something that is watered down. They are teaching them who Jesus is and what God has done in their life and what God desires them to do. 
And they get that. And when they make a decision that they want to live their life transformed by Christ, then we will baptize them. And we will meet with you, mom and dad, and we'll meet with the child, and we'll make sure they understand what this is, what's going on. And we will baptize them. And so some people have been asked this question, what if I was baptized as an infant? Let me, let me go back to the ring analogy. When my kids were born, let's imagine that I gave them this ring. That, I, that when Abby and Laura were born, I gave them this ring. And I want them to hold on to this ring. But they do not yet know what this ring means. This ring is too big for their finger. They don't quite understand it. And so one of the things that we can do to honor this gift and honor our parents that have baptized us as infants is at a point when I got married, I took this ring and put it on my finger. And I brought meaning to what my parents gave And so if you've been baptized as an infant, then that is just simply them giving you a ring at birth. And as you grow and understand this decision, then you put your faith and hope in Christ and you put this ring on. And you brought honor to your mother and father and you brought honor to your heavenly father. I see too many families that fight over this. I see too many families that, that a baptism can cause so much hurt in their family because of the fight that comes up. This is not something to fight about. This is something to be very clear about. But honor your parents. If they baptize you as an infant, then honor that and say, Mom and Dad, thank you for pointing me towards Jesus at an early age. Thank you for this ring that you gave me. And now I have the opportunity to put it on and wear it and understand what the purpose of this is for my life. Thank you. Let's celebrate this together. And so before we get into the scripture, let's ask this question. Why was Jesus baptized? Because Jesus wasn't a sinner. Jesus didn't need salvation. But Jesus shows up to John. Let's, let's read it. Go to Matthew chapter 3. And let's read it here. We'll start in verse 13. It says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying... I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. And Jesus replied to John, he said, let it be so. It, was, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now there's some things going on here. You've got, you've got Jesus coming to John and saying, I want to be baptized. And John, honestly, rightfully so, John said, I'm not qualified for this, Jesus. John knew who Jesus was. They're related. They knew each other even when they were in each mother's womb. Because it says when Mary and Elizabeth came together, the babies jumped. I mean, so they knew each other. And John knew the Messiah was coming. 
We talked last week, John was preparing the way for Jesus to step on the scene. And now Jesus steps on the scene and he goes to John and says, John, I want you to baptize me. And John, rightfully, no, Jesus, you should be baptizing me. And he says, we've got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So why was Jesus baptized? The first thing it was, I think, to identify with the people he came to save. You see, Jesus was not a sinner, but he came to associate with sinners. He told the Pharisees, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus wanted to associate himself. In this time, a lot of the rituals in the first century, the Pharisees and Sadducees had, had kind of infused or defused the meaning from these rituals. And they pulled the life, if you think about it, pulled the life out of what's going on. So you have these people that, that can't think for themselves, following these religious leaders that are doing these rituals and these traditions that mean nothing. I mean, even Jesus would get on to the Pharisees and say, you tithe, you pray, you fast, but it means nothing because it's empty. I would much rather have Jesus infused and it means something than to do something that is empty. And Jesus came so that he could associate with us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he came to say, these are my people. These are who I came to associate with. He didn't want to go sit with the religious leaders who had turned baptism into something that was dead. They turned these rituals into something to keep the bad people away. And so they could get together and have these empty rituals to talk about how good they were. You see, these rituals humble ourselves and exalt God. But very easily they can be turned into something that exalts ourselves and takes God completely out of the picture. When we observe a tradition, it will point back to Jesus. We will humble ourselves. Baptism is a symbol of life coming to death. I don't possess that power. It's a symbol of, of a life that was mired with sin and heading towards destruction and death, that the blood of Christ covered and new life was given. I don't have that power. If I did, and Paul's the same way, we would have something to boast about. But we don't. And so Jesus did this to associate with us. To say, I'm with you. These are my people. The second thing is he infused meaning into this ritual. He redeemed this ritual. You see, Jesus came to bring new life. Now think about it. Think about communion. Communion was a symbol of the Passover feast. And he came and says, I am the bread of heaven. And in, in John, he's really baffling him by saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Talk about infusing meaning into communion. That when he broke the bread, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And when he handed them a cup of wine, he said, this wine is, is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. There's meaning being brought back into an empty tradition. Think about worship when he says, you will worship in spirit and in truth. 
See, when we come into church and we clap our hands and we sing, it can be weird unless it points back to Jesus. And Jesus says, I am allowing you the opportunity to connect in spirit and in truth so that your worship is meaningful. That it brings life back into what you're doing. That you're not just standing there mindless, reading these words off a projector and listening to a band and watching a band worship, allowing them to lead us. There's meaning that gets infused with it. Think about the sacrificial system of the day. That they would have to sacrifice a lamb or a goat or something pure to have forgiveness of sins. He kicked that one way up when he came to be the lamb slain for our sins. He was infusing meaning back into a ritual. He was bringing life back in. And in verse 16, when the Holy Spirit showed up, after his baptism, he came up out of the water. Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit shows up and then God speaks. If there was any lack of clarity on who Jesus was, at that moment, it was made very clear. Because now you have the Holy Spirit showing up, and God, by the way, saying, hey, that's my son. It's like on the ball field, when one of the kids makes a good move, you know who the dad is. <laughs> that's my boy, right there, yes! You know, he's got a video camera attached to his, to his eye, you know? That's my son. Did you see that? I mean, he's only about this tall, but God made it clear who his son was and brought meaning into this ritual. And then the third reason, I think, is that Jesus got baptized, and he said this to John, is to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus didn't show up to John to get baptized because he was supposed to. He didn't get baptized because he was going to help him in some way. He did it to fulfill all righteousness, which means this. He knew God would be happy with him. Man, when I, when I know that I'm making God happy, it does something different inside. Like I, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I don't feel like singing. Sometimes I don't feel like clapping. Sometimes I don't feel like praying. Shocked there. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I don't feel like giving. And when, when, I, when I do, and I start to understand that God enjoys what I'm doing, it starts to bring some life back into me. You know, I, I may come in and I'm like clapping, you know, good job, man, you know, sounds good, but no, just, just not there, you know. And then I realize, it's just almost like God just says, you know what, I'm enjoying what's going on. I leaned over to heaven and went during worship a few minutes ago and I said, listen to that one singing. And I was like, it took me, it, it made me happy. I'm thinking, if I'm happy just hearing everyone sing, how much more happy is God of hearing his kids? I mean, he's up in heaven elbowing angels. That's my kid. Listen to him. And I gave him that voice. Sometimes I wonder why God gave me the voice I've got. I gave him that voice. Isn't it beautiful? Okay. Only the dad can love that. <laughs> but it makes God happy. And when I give, it's not only oh, God worked me over for some cash. It's I'm connected with God and he is delighting in what I do. And I get delight. I get infused with life when I see and understand the joy that's in God's heart because I'm bringing him that joy. 
And Jesus brought God joy. He brought the Father joy because He said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so what you've got here is you've got, in verse 16 and 17, you've got the Trinity showing up. You've got God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We sang about three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son. Let me spend a few minutes talking about that because I want us to be clear on this. There are so many misconceptions about the Trinity, and I'm not going to get into all the misconceptions. I learned this, that it, the counterfeiters, the people who look for counterfeit money, they don't study all of the ones that are the fakes. They study the real thing, and they'll recognize the fake when it comes across their desk. And so let's get in and understand what the Trinity is, and I'm going to be very quick on this, because I don't want to say anything Blasphemous, really. And so let's 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 go with this. Um, the Trinity does not show up in the Bible in any one verse. You can't go and say, you know, look at the Trinity in the in the concordance in the back and find where it is referred to and explains what the Trinity is. The Trinity is this: it's an implicit doctrine, not explicit. And this is what that means. I can't go to one verse and say, this is the Trinity, this is what it means, and I can explain it all in one verse. It's implicit, meaning I've got to read this Bible cover to cover to understand what's going on with the Trinity. And the Trinity is God in three persons, and so when you look in Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image. Here in Matthew, you've got this very life-giving scene where you've got Jesus, then you've got the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and you've got His Father saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And you have, you've got to dig for this. This is kind of where it gets into big boy stuff. And I want us to go through this and be very clear about who God is. Remember I said baptism is open-handed? Trinity is closed-handed. This is, this is doctrine. This is what we have to stand on and understand. Now there are things maybe surrounding the Trinity that go in the open hand. And where some churches believe different things about the Trinity. But at the core we agree on this. Whether you're, you're Baptist, whether you're Assembly of God, Pentecostal, Methodist, even some Catholics believe close-handedly about the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity. <laughs> Denominations, we get into fighting about all the stuff around it. I mean, specifically about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how those are given and used. That's open-handed. Let's go close-handed, just the Trinity. The Trinity is this. This is what it means. God is eternally existent in one essence and three persons. Let me say that again. God is eternally existent in one essence and three persons. He's God. There's a chart here. Allie, throw that chart up there. We'll go through this. God is the Son. God is the Father. And God is the Holy Spirit. One essence, three persons. God is not or the Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. That's the three persons. There's one essence in God. And there, there is, there is a, um, a misconception out there that 
the uh, Trinity, that these are all manifestations of God. That the Son may be a manifestation of God, the Holy Spirit may be a manifestation of God. And that is not true. Let me explain it this way. I am Matt. You're looking at Matt. Matt is a father. Matt is a husband. And Matt is a son. If I were to die today, all three of those, those hats I wear, will die. If Jesus died and he was a manifestation of God, then all of God died. And so there would be no power from the Holy Spirit to raise him from the dead. There would be no Father. This, I know this is splitting hairs, but this is majorly important because there are people that think that God shows up in different ways. It's not one plus one plus one, okay? It's one times one times one. You come up with a very different answer. This is a paradox. Let me explain to you what a paradox is. It's something that, okay, I see it, but I don't quite get it. The original paradox came from a philosopher named Zeno. Don't know if you've ever heard of him. I thought, it, when I found it, I thought maybe he did Zeno and Lighting, but it wasn't the case. But here is the Zeno paradox. Okay, let's say I'm at this point, and I want to walk to that stand. According to Zeno's paradox, it's impossible for me to walk from this point to this point. Why? Because Zeno determined that I have to cross a halfway point. So if I get to this halfway point, but then I have to get there, so I have to cross what? Another halfway point, right? But to get to that halfway point, I have to cross what? Another halfway point. And how many halfway points are between me and this thing? There's an infinite number of halfway points. How long would it take me to do an infinite number of actions? Eternity. And yet, I can take a step. And I can be here. It's a paradox. God is very complicated, yet he's very simple. It's Jesus loves me this time. It's so simple a child can, can put their faith in it. It's so complicated that we can confound the greatest minds of the universe. Because we cannot get to the end of who God is. Because he is eternally existent in one essence in three persons. God is three persons. Think about this. You need a provider? He's a father. You need a defender? need a protector. It's a protector. You have God the Father. The Holy Spirit is a convictor. It's not an it feeling, you know, when you're about to do something that you know is wrong and you're like, well, I got that it feeling. No, it's him. It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a counselor. He's constantly teaching us about himself, even in ways that we don't realize we're being taught. He's a comforter. He's the Holy Spirit. You need a brother, someone that sticks closer than a brother is Jesus. A Savior. Someone to redeem us by his sacrifice is the Son. God is three persons in one essence. And that is huge for us. 
do with this knowledge about God is everything because it is how we are able to understand and God does want us to have understanding. And it's how we're able to communicate and share this hope, this message, this life with those outside of this message. That God is asking us to go into this world and to share Jesus and to, to do what John said. Jesus is here. Put your faith in him. It's that simple. So maybe, maybe, maybe you've never said I do to God. Maybe you've, maybe you've put on a ring, but you've never said I do. Maybe there's, there's been the ritual, but there's never been the meaning and the commitment behind the ritual. And in a minute, I'm going to pray. And I, just, I just want you to say I do to God. Because God is, is, it sounds kind of weird, but God is the husband that we all need. And ladies, he's not the abusive husband that once, that once you say yes to him, he becomes abusive because he's got you. And, and for men, I know it can feel kind of weird because most of the language about God is masculine language. That as soon as he gets you, he emasculates you and he makes you this, this really this Christian sissy that we see too many times in our society. He doesn't do that. He has created you to be a man of God. And he will give you the power and the ability to be that man of God that he's created you to be. And so Jesus is not just on his knees, but he dies. And he's handing this ring. And he's saying, I want to give you this ring, but I want the commitment behind it. And so we're just going to go before the altar of God. And if you've never said I do, I'll give you that opportunity. But if you have said I do, then what I want you to pray for is God help me to bring meaning, not just to the rituals in my life, but help me to bring meaning to everything that I do in life. That it reflects and points clearly to Jesus. That my eating, my sleeping, my living, my breathing, my walking around, my everyday, ordinary life becomes something that points back to Jesus. And that I wear the ring and I live the life that the ring symbolizes. And if you've never been baptized and you want to get baptized on the 27th, then there's meaning in what's going on. It's not just mindlessly following what someone is saying you should do to have eternity. You're engaging yourself with God.